Welcome to the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate Podcast, brought to you by APT Capital Group, where Kyle and Lalita talk to top experts and seasoned passive investors in the business to help provide clarity and key insights to keep you safe on your journey to financial freedom. Our goal is to help you get educated on how to create passive income for you and your family using real estate as your vehicle. If you enjoy the show, please go to iTunes and leave a rating and written review to help us grow and reach more listeners. Now, here are your hosts, Kyle and Lolita. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate Podcast. I'm your co-host, Lolita, also joined by Kyle. Before we get started, please make sure to head over to our website, aptcapitalgroup.com, and grab our free Passive Investor's Guide. And if you're interested in learning more about what we do, you can schedule a call with Kyle on our website as well. All right, now time to get into our show. On today's show, we have Jonathan Tuttle joining us. Jonathan, great to have you here. How's it going? Very good. Thank you for having me on. Awesome. Well, before we head into the interview, here's a little bit about Jonathan. Jonathan is the fund manager at Midwest Park Capital, which is a private real estate investing firm providing accredited investors with exclusive access to high-yield investment in the mobile home park vertical. Jonathan's areas of expertise lie in real estate investing, flipping mobile homes, and financial investing, among many other things. We enjoy learning about different assets in the real estate space, and we're looking forward to your guidance in the mobile home park arena. So before we get started, Jonathan, could you please tell the listeners a little bit more about what you do? Sure. Yeah, I kind of was fortunate. My dad was, uh, I grew up in a real estate family. So as a little kid, my dad was a general contractor and he had three real estate brokerage offices. So even as like four or five, six years old, I remember being in the office, playing with the staplers or being on the job site, watching them flip houses and build, develop houses. So starting from really early, being a young age, I really saw the passion. I saw the opportunity and also got to see the different cycles. So like grew up in the 80s, we had the savings and loans disaster. We had obviously anybody's older, they can remember that the mortgage rates were insane compared to today. So just being able to see how real estate is resilient through different you know, cycles and that there's opportunities through different cycles. Uh, and that's what really got piqued my interest in real estate to begin with. Awesome. Well, today we're going to talk about mobile home parks. And can you start by maybe telling us a little bit more about what excites you about that asset class? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I've been in the space about 15 years. My dad discovered it later on, right before retirement. I used to tell my friends, they would just laugh, but like mobile home parks and like, you know, your early mid 20s, everyone's like, what are you talking about? You want to invest in mobile home parks? <laughs> And this is like mid 2000s. So nobody, you know, it wasn't as common. It was more kind of a taboo, kind of a weird niche. Now everything, alternative investments are becoming place more, more popular. But just really seeing how resilient it was during the last downturn is what really got my interest into it. And we, my dad got his first park in you know, 2005. And from 2005 to 2012, we had, you know, based on his background, he'd never seen something so resilient during like downturns. And that's when I was like, I'm ready to start investing and I just started saving for, you know, my first park. And that was just like what really piqued my interest. And basically the hardest thing is just to believe in yourself and not listen to your friends. And yep. do your research. Yeah, I agree. Can you tell us a little bit more about that first park that you purchased? How did it go? And you know, what were some things that you learned? Sure. Yeah. Uh, like back then, now there's a more courses, obviously with, you know, digital technology and like the info courses and zoom, like we're on right now. Back then, like the internet was just coming out, like, you know, just to pay Google ads and you'd see different, like, you might think were scammy or spammy uh, courses online because it was like, all about the copywriter. But there was a course called Ernest Two and Stephen Chase. I haven't seen it in like 15 years, but it was an old 
the first really like mobile home Bible, how to flip. And then, the, then there became mobile home university, which like, I don't know if you ever heard of Frank and Dave Rolf, basically that was like the Bible for learning or talking to the old school guys that developed because mostly mom and pop own it. So you learn a lot on as you go. It wasn't a lot of information like there is today, but the main thing we learned is you could create value just by, it's like multifamily. It's very similar to multifamily, but it has its own nuances. And a lot of it's a lot of weird gray areas because you're dealing with, you know, the properties like basically like vehicles and you have like old, you know, grandfather laws, which are based on the laws from votings, you know, the voting rights from like hundred years before. So there's all these weird little nuances. The biggest challenge is learning those laws and working with the local city government but running the park is pretty, as long as your boots in the ground for the first, when you're acquiring an asset for the first couple of months and bringing in the right rules, regulations, having a good manager, just like multifamily, putting CapEx into it, it's a stable investment. You just have to do the groundwork to get, you know, put the CapEx, do the groundwork and do due diligence when you're acquiring a property. Okay. And so are there typical third-party property management companies like multifamily or are you self-managing these on your own? The ones we own, the couple of ones we have, we had, we had three, now we have two, but the, for the fund, yeah, we have third-party management. We have the biggest third-party management. There's now becoming like a trend of like, kind of like multifamily. Actually, the group we use does a lot of multifamily too. They have pretty substantial portfolio in both. How do you find mobile home park property management companies? Maybe it's just because I'm not educated in the space, but right. I think that there's probably a lot less than there are in the multifamily space. So how do you vet them and, and what's your process for finding the right ones? Yeah, great question. There's not a lot, like you said. There's a couple. There's more coming up because it's becoming more commonplace. Google search how I found, but then going to the trade shows, there's like two or three big ones. Mark Kassab from M. Shapiro Real Estate, that's who we use. That's the biggest one. They do like Apollo Group. They do a couple of the private equity funds too. You know, So that's what we recommend because we work with them. They've been in the space for 30 some plus years. Okay. And what's your typical business plan? I mean, is this just like a value add three to five year hold with multifamily or um, do you go in and kind of focus on certain things? What's your model? Sure. It's a little different. We want to hold it longer term, eight to 10 years. So that's usually, if you can stabilize it, obviously just like multifamily raising the rents and you're getting the equity multiple over time, you get the leverage from, you know, putting with the Fannie Freddie, we're getting the same type of financing. So we get that leverage. We like the eight to 10 just because it gives us more of a equity multiple and exit. Okay, great. Interesting. And are there any tax benefits or anything like that with mobile home parks? Or is this just, you know, basically straight purchases? Yeah, great question. The, uh, so, you know, obviously a single family, you guys, mobile home parks and multifamily have two of the best, obviously, tax depreciation schedules. Regular single family house, it doesn't have that. And we've all seen from the whole Trump taxes being released and all these different advantages. I think one of your other episodes, the guy was talking about opportunity zones, which is all relatively new as well. So our two asset classes are very similar in nature because we had these really favorable tax depreciation schedules. Typical commercial real estate is 39 years. Multifamily is 27.5, which is fantastic. But when we acquire a mobile home park, the land improvements is a 15-year depreciation schedule. So your K-1s look a lot better. So that's one of the other advantages. So you get the safety security, but you also get that nice you know, tax benefits, basically. Mm-hmm. How's the asset class performed during COVID? So over the last you know, eight, nine months? Actually, it's been phenomenal. It's in, right now. I just went to a conference, the uh, Southeastern Conference owners and national operators. About ninety-three percent tenants were paying during COVID. Also, additionally, they had Wells Fargo lending, like the head of lending, which did multiple different asset classes, and they said they were doing hitting about ninety-five. So it was like it hasn't been a downturn. The main reason is you can't really go below it, and mobile home parks do really well during downturns because 
it's the lowest, it's usually a third the price of a house or half the price of a, like a class B apartment in the same town. So especially when you get these $1,200 checks and the lot rents in the Midwest, for example, like three, 350 bucks, they have right there, four months of rent covered. So do you think if there's no more stimulus to come and COVID continues for another six to eight months that this asset class would start to perform worse? I think it's going to keep performing better. Usually what happens is it's supply and demand. There's about 60 million Americans that need affordable housing and about 12 million mobile homes. You can't really develop new parks. And also it's like just because of the zoning stipulation and you'd have to develop it, you have to market it, you have to bring in the infrastructure. It's going to take a couple of years before you're even profitable. So the avenue is to buy a park that's already existing cash flow. The reason I think it's stable is just because the people in the middle class, you know, the majority of the Americans, they get pushed down. And then this is the only place they can afford to live. So even if they have, you know, 10, 15,000 in the bank and they just have a little, you know, $10 an hour job, they're still going to be able to afford a mobile home park. And that's where we really fill that void and serve that affordable housing niche. And obviously it's all based on areas because in California, for example, mobile homes aren't even affordable. <laughs> you have like Paradise Cove, for example, I think Matthew McConaughey used to live there and some Hollywood is like a getaway home. You're on the same beach but the homes are going for you know two to six million dollars. But in the Midwest, like a seventies mobile home is a couple grand or five thousand or eighties home like ten grand. So you, it really is affordable. In the same town, the houses are hundred thousand. And another benefit most people don't know: if you're a tenant in the park, you're paying let's say for example ten or twenty bucks a month. And Illinois has got really high taxes, just like California. Across the street, one hundred fifty thousand dollar house, they're paying three or four thousand dollars for the same school fire library for the taxes. You know that's what the money goes towards. And ours, they're paying like 200 bucks. So they don't really get the, you know, like single family, the whole pitch is equity over time. But for mobile homes, you make up that difference in the amount of tax money you save based on per, like especially states like Illinois. Okay. So you are more in the B and C class space than is my guess versus the A class uh, mobile home parks. Exactly. That's where we find more value. We can't compete with the institutional money. Like Blackstone's in, uh, in the last few years, we have Blackstone, Apollo, and like sovereign wealth funds, we have the biggest private equity in our buying billions. Just last two weeks ago, I think it was Blackstone, which during the last recession, they bought the most single family houses. And when they came on discount due to the downturn, this time they just spent 550 and they're expecting to spend billions because they think this is the new safe bet. So that kind of in- indicates like where the institutional money is going. But speaking of that, they get, you know, when they have access to billions of dollars, they get a four cap makes sense to them. For us, we would never be able to you know, pay our investors or pay us anything really. So it doesn't make sense. We find value in the Midwest because it's still strong, stable, but there's enough spread to make sense for everyone. Makes nice returns, serves affordable housing as well. Okay. What's the typical way you add value to mobile home parks? I mean, I wouldn't imagine you're adding a ton of amenities. So what is the strategy behind that? Yeah, great question. So like, yeah, amenities, you can add... If you want to have like kind of the private ownership or when you take over a park, one of the things you could do is add some amenities like a little dog park and it's kind of like RV parks, the same thing where you add that that's becoming a trend with mobile home parks now, like the newer owners are kind of bringing in more amenities because remember the most of these owners have had it in the family, mom and pop, about six or 7% ownership or six or 7% is institutional ownership. So the rest is mom and pop and most of them develop these in the sixties and seventies. This is before like obviously with apartments and luxury apartments. Now it's the whole thing is amenities. So if we're competing, even with the B-class department, dog park, some grills, but that doesn't really, that just adds more curb appeal. The real value add is just better management and making sure you do diligence on like the water, the biggest expenses like water, making sure you bill it back to them if you can, if it's legally allowed, bill back to water, making sure that you do due diligence to make sure like the infrastructure, 
There's no hidden surprises in the, underneath the ground. Also, they can show your zoning, your setbacks, because if you want to bring in new homes and if the going back to the cities and it was grandfathered in or legal non-conforming and they say, oh, you can't bring a new double wide, you go and bring in, keep this old single wide in here that's a one bedroom. Well, that doesn't really add value. So really knowing the industry, knowing that the laws that go with it, that's where you add the value. Managing the property, obviously raising rents is the easiest way to do it. Managing expenses. So it's just, it's kind of like multifamily, very similar. Like when you come in multifamily, how much you put in per door. Us, it's like, well, we do how much can we mitigate the cost and how much can we fairly raise the rent? Because when you acquire a property, obviously the taxes go up and you want to put the capex into it. So raising the rents and the utilities, keeping the utilities down or going back to the, the tenants. That's the real value add. You mentioned that you can't really develop new mobile home parks. I know that you know cities and municipalities just don't want to see them is one of the reasons behind that. What about adding if there's additional land? Is that is just as difficult or is that something that you see as a value add? Because I would imagine adding to an existing park could be a huge value add. Yeah, exactly. There's some operators are doing that. So you have different type of operators. You have the institutional that want on the coast, California, like the one, this group out of Chicago just sold the, the Silicon Valley one for like $250 million for one park, which is insane, <laughs> which is astronomical. But obviously, California and San Francisco is one of the expensive places in the country. You have that type of operator. Then you have the turnaround person who finds like they're not going to get the Fannie Freddie. They're not going to get the CMBS loan. They're probably not going to get a bank note. They're probably just doing an owner finance, self-carry, where they get like, hey, 30 40% occupied. And they come in and bring in new homes. Or they find them on Facebook Craigslist, bring in the new homes. You can really, if you put boots in the ground, have a really good marketing team and a really good market. You have to do one of the things you want to do when you're testing out markets is exactly what you're going to your point is do a test data on Facebook Marketplace, just like you have a unit and say you have a park that's like, you know, 30 extra lots that are already zoned and you have them open and you could get new homes in there. So you want to see if there's a market for it. So you basically put a Facebook ad and you say, hey, I have this unit or potential unit. And if you get 10 or 20 inquiries, you know, you have enough demand. So that's really a kind of way to kind of mitigate your risk and test out the market, see if there's demand before you bring in these homes. And then now Warren Buffett, uh, he's got 21st Mortgage, which is like the biggest financer. They have a program, it's called the 21st Cash Program, where they're basically allowing, they're basically helping partner with owners, park owners to finance new homes because a new, the average price of a brand new double A is about $80,000. And so the whole point of the mobile home park is to buy existing cash flow. You don't want to be developing subdivisions. So if you have 30 units, 80,000, you're spending you know, obviously a few million dollars plus infrastructure, then marketing to lease it out. So that becomes kind of cost prohibitive if you don't have the right demand for it. But if you're in the Midwest and it's like a $300, you know, the average rent is three dollars $400 and you have a 70s, 80 units and you can find a bigger operator that wants to get rid of the old units. There's like a high, high level tip here for you. Go to some of those bigger park owners that say they have three, four, 500 units or it's institutional operator say, Hey, can I scoop up these, you know, these older units off you? Sometimes I'll give them to you for free. If you can pick them up and you have a transporter and bring them over to your unit and you get them for free or very cheap from the other, because they want to bring in the new homes. So right. that's, that's okay. an avenue to do that. You mentioned Fannie and Freddie. So there is agency financing for mobile home parks. Yes. It's actually in the last couple of years, it, 10 years ago, it wasn't really irrelevant. In the last couple of years, and this has become a huge game changer for our industry, the last couple of years, it's, they have had to allocate 30 or 35%. I forgot for this kind of the, I think it's the Safe or Cares Act, one of those. They have to allocate 30, 35% to affordable housing. So we're getting abundance of Fannie and Freddie loans. Right now, it's about 2.75. We're seeing as low as that or low threes. It was actually been 
a point this year was lower than multifamily for the first time ever, just because I gotten really comfortable with the asset class. They have certain stipulations, like you can only have so many tenant or park-owned homes, which means they want you basically be own the land and the tenants own the home, so it mitigates the risk. But yeah, 10-year, you've seen 10 to 12-year, but 10-year, non-recourse. What also that's done with the you know the supply and demand and then the, the strength of it during COVID is now you're seeing cap rates getting compressed. We're getting, I would say, lost a few years ago, it used to be a 10 cap would be commonplace, then it was like an 8 cap. But now you're seeing five, six, some like in the fours and obviously in the California stuff. But like in the same town or multifamily, it's probably, we're only about 100 basis points like it's not that much like it used to be because of the Fannie Freddie financing. So it actually, it's great if you're selling, but you're acquiring properties, it's the returns have come down. So Interesting. How about evictions? How do evictions work with mobile homes? I mean, obviously you just mentioned just owning the land and let's just say someone's not paying their lot rent. Is that treated the same way as a multifamily eviction or is it a little bit different? Yeah, you do the same process. The main thing what you want to do is you want to nip the butt before it becomes a big issue. A lot of times what you do is you go to the people Here's a kind of a high level tip. You go to them and say, hey, if you're having problems, you could kind of work with them a little bit. Or what you could also do and say, hey, if you want to do some deferred payments, you don't have to be the old kind of rule of thumb was like the old school operators would be like, no pay, no stay. But obviously nowadays it's more compassion, more empathy. And like we have such a strong asset class and yeah, we could get something in there right away unless they're abusing it. But if they have some issues, we basically say, hey, you can do a payment plan or we'll help them out. So I'm like, even like paying the outside just to make them feel better, like paying the outside of the home for free. But usually what we do is say, hey, how much, if you need to move or somewhere else, we can give you like whatever the home is worth. We'll give them a couple grand. We let them say what the home is worth. And that mitigates a lot of it is basically paying a few grand. But the whole process, yeah, you want to, it's about $500 for attorney. Usually they never get attorneys to go to the court. So it's, you know, you're looking at a four to six month process. So, but there is no difference between the leasee owning the mobile home versus just renting the lot. Yeah, it's very similar. So, yeah, okay. it's not, yeah, it's not like any, I know because it's, you know, technically it's like a car, but it's, it's the same process. You still have the sheriff, you know, write the eviction note, you have the sheriff, you know, all that stuff, the whole process, you know, going to court. It's all the same, basically the same. Okay. You also teach people about just flipping mobile homes, I believe. Can you talk more about that? Is that just as profitable as flipping a regular house or is there more to that? I think the beauty about it is, well, because now I was going to come out with this course like three or four years ago, but I just thought there would be no demand for it. Like I just thought people don't think I'm weird, but uh, you know, everyone online selling some kind of course nowadays. And the reason I wanted to do it was because it's an easy avenue for Somebody just first starting out getting into real estate doesn't have a lot of money. It serves affordable housing because what happens is if these older houses aren't repaired, they get torn down and then the next replacements are forty-five to eighty thousand a house, and that's not really affordable housing anymore. Or in California, for example, like when you're flipping even the old trailers, they're hundred, two hundred thousand, sometimes three hundred thousand. So it's like, and then they bring in the new homes. It's like it just it doesn't create that value for the affordable housing niche. The reason I created the course was just a way to help solve that. And also helps, it's twofold too. The park owners like it because a lot of these mom and pops, they just like to have the unit stay in the park. And if you could take the capex out of them, they just want the rent and they like the equity from having the unit there. Because if you keep a 70s, 80 unit in there, it's worth 30, 40,000, obviously depending on the cash flow of the park, but it keeps, it's worth 30, 40,000 for the park owner plus the three or $400 lot rent, you know, four or $5,000 a year in revenue. But for the park owner, he doesn't, if you could find somebody, a lot of these park owners will say, hey, if you come in and replace them, I mean, not replace them, but, you know, repair them, beautify them out of your money, of course you can make the, you know, three, five, ten thousand dollars profit because 
you're not taking away from me. You're adding value to the park and you're bringing a better tenant in here or also keeping a, a better offering to the clients. So we really teach people step-by-step step all the challenges and nuances because there is a lot of weird gray areas. And through our, in my 15 years experience, and I have a lot of like the top industry professionals that don't go anywhere else that they're not, because it's kind of a good old boys club. So I have a lot of those guys that would normally not be giving out free information or even taking phone calls. They're providing you some like really high level steps. And we have like a, a year warranty, a guarantee. So if you don't double your money, we'll pay your money back and give you a thousand dollars back. So we're really confident in that program. Yeah. Very awesome. Anything else we haven't talked about for mobile home parks? No, I just think it's a tremendous asset class. I think now it's becoming mainstream. We've had the lowest failure rate for the last 50 years based on bank data. Uh, you got all the Wall Street players, obviously Sam Sell, who's like the biggest owner of mobile home parks. He sold off half his multifamily. He's also the biggest owner of multifamily in the country, the biggest owner of apartment or office buildings, and the biggest owner of mobile home parks. He sold half his office portfolio and half his multifamily. He's still buying multifamily in like the Denver and like those Rocky areas, but but he's doubling down on the mobile home park. So you see that, you see Wall Street, the biggest private equity, they're buying billions and billions of dollars. It's a great niche. The, the issue is we have about a four or five year run to acquire as many parks as possible because these are becoming once lifetime deals as mom and pop sell off these two institutional owners, which is making our cap rates compressed, which is making us more like a, a more niche multifamily than like it used to be just like a really great cash flow. It still is, but it's not going to be as appealing to most investors and after like five, six years from now. Yep. Makes sense. All right. Lolita is going to take us into our final four questions. Are you ready? Yeah. This podcast is sponsored by bullpen. Bullpen is an online marketplace where you can find and hire top notch commercial real estate analysts on an hourly or part-time basis to support your deals. The analysts on Bullpen have various skill sets from office brokerage in Topeka to multifamily development in New York and everything in between. We use Bullpen as a second set of eyes on all of our underwriting. Find your next analyst using Bullpen at www.bullpenre.com. Use our promo code APTCAPITAL when you sign up to receive a $100 credit towards your first hire. All right, Jonathan, here we go. What is the one tool you use in real estate investing that you cannot do without? So I'm going to keep it real simple. My cell phone, because I live on my cell phone. I think uh, everything's on there. All your, like, listen to podcasts, this, you get, you know, in books, you're getting continuous education. You have that while you're just at your downtime. You contact people through Zoom, you come through the phone, you have your email, everything's based on your phone. So I'll keep it simple and just say your phone because everything starts with that. Can you tell us a story about your biggest mistake in real estate investing and what is the main takeaway for our listeners? Yes. My biggest mistake was buying my first single family home in 2000, or it was actually condo in 2006. <laughs> that was my biggest thing was everyone at that time was like, oh, I got to buy a home, like buy a home. This is before you know, I got involved in the park space. And it was my first real estate investing venture basically. And it just obviously, even the house went down about 65%. And then what the problem was with the condo, because everyone was just letting their condos go. They wouldn't, you couldn't rent, they're renting them out for like a couple hundred bucks a month. <laughs> so I couldn't even rent them out for a couple hundred bucks. So I lost a ton of money on it. So I, to this day, I'm still hesitant. I rent like class A apartment buildings and I have those being paid from the rents from the mobile home parks. I just don't like, because I like to move every four or five years too. I don't like the fact that in single family, unless you're in like maybe California, obviously California is a super hot market and has crazy appreciation right away, but in the Midwest, you're lucky, especially Illinois, you're very lucky if it appreciates, then you have to pay the broker the fee you know, all those other headaches and marketing it. And I'd rather just have a 
luxury building that I can pop to every couple of years. Love it. What is it that you need to do now to grow your life to the next level? Basically, just keep creating my like do the second or third fund, and I just keep uh, getting more accredited investors and qualified purchasers and qualified clients, and just keep acquiring as many parks. I think the next four or five years is going to be pretty insane because I've been positioning for the last fifteen, and now it's just basically just executing. So. And finally, where can people find out more about you? Yeah, for the Mobile Home Wealth Academy, go to Mobile Home Wealth Academy. That's actually the basic login page, but it has like you could log in there and get first notification. We have two funnels being built. They're almost done. And for your listeners, we'll give like $1,000 off. So we'll give you, which is just say your name, we'll give them $1,000 off. So that's called the Mobile Home Wealth Academy. We're about three weeks off from that. But the fund right now is Midwest Park Capital, Midwest Park Capital and MidwestParkCapitalFund.com. The first website's more informative. The second with the fund is actually, if you're a credit investor, you can log in right there, see the PPM from that website. So either one of those or Jonathan Tuttle Official is my Facebook. That's the one I'm, the social I'm most active on. Oh, great stuff. Well, Jonathan, thank you for taking the time to educate us today and sharing your experience. We appreciate you being on the show. Thank you guys for having me. It was fun. Thanks, Jonathan. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please go to iTunes and leave a rating and written review to help us grow and reach more listeners. You can also go to the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate group on Facebook so you can connect with Kyle and Lolita and ask your questions that you want them to answer on the show. Subscribe too so that you can get the latest episodes. Lastly, to stay updated, head on over to aptcapitalgroup.com and sign up for the newsletter. If you're interested in partnering with Kyle and Lolita, sign up on the Contact Us page so you can talk to them directly. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode.